Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And today we are officially putting a close to our Wes Anderson uh, Marathon. We both have now seen the French Dispatch, so we're going to talk about the French Dispatch today um, for our main review. And for the second portion of the show, uh, or I guess kind of the third portion of the show, we, we will go back through and uh, unveil our rankings of all 10 of Wes Anderson's films and in what order we would put those in. Um, but before we do that, uh, we are going to talk about what's coming out this this upcoming week. So as, as of this uh, release of this episode, uh, The Harder They Fall will be released on... Uh, Netflix. And so when you're listening to this, it will have already been released. And uh, this is actually receiving some some decent praise as kind of being a uh, interesting take on the uh, classic Western film with uh, a all black cast. Um, and so I'm actually pretty intrigued to to see this this movie and I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to watch it but uh, I am definitely going to make it a priority currently as a 71 on uh, Metacritic which is pretty solid um, especially for some of these these more uh, Netflix releases and one that isn't going to be a big awards player what do you think about the harder they fall Danny I'm excited to see it and also it's just as a cool uh time i think to release a western just because there aren't other westerns being released right now and also it's got a unique take on it and so uh that's what makes this exciting um i I agree with that well the big movie that's coming out this week is eternals um and you know (laughs) this is one that there was so much buzz about over the course of this entire year. And now that reviews are coming out, it is uh, being rated as the lowest um, favorite, or I guess the has the lowest ratings out of any of the MCU uh, universe films. And uh, I believe it is still rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, making it the only MCU film that is rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. It does have a 54 Metascore. Um, I'm probably going to skip it for the time being. I think that this is one that I'll catch up with sometime next year uh, when things are maybe in a little bit of a lull. Uh, maybe I'll be part of my project of hopefully watching all of the MCU films. Uh, and that's when I will hopefully catch up with it. Um, what do you think now that we know a little bit more about this film, Danny? I still want to see it. Um, and I probably, I don't know if I'll see it this weekend. I'll, I'll catch it in the theater probably still. Um, it's still intriguing to me that it's a, a Chloe Zhao movie. And I want to see kind of what she did to influence this movie and i also am curious to see if any way if it's the movie's at fault because of the story if it's at fault because of the direction or is it something to do with the studio and see if there's any way we can kind of parse through that the only other thing i was going to say is um i don't know i I didn't look up what thor the dark world's uh rotten tomatoes score is but they said that eternals i've heard people say that eternals is the lowest Thor the Dark World also has a 54 meta score. Um, and so 
that that has been often heralded as the worst MCU movie. And maybe this is going to take its place. It, I will say that it seems like some of the CGI maybe looks a little under par compared to the years past and seeing how much of a product the MCU can release, especially even, even on their TV shows, they have tremendous C- CGI. And so I was kind of taken aback by just how it seemed like we almost regressed a little bit in the CGI that was there in those shots. So, and maybe that has to do with Chloe Zhao as being not having a ton of experience working in this world, or it might not be her fault at all. Maybe it was something to do with when they were shooting during the pandemic and that affected schedules. And so it will be just interesting to see the movie to kind of figure out what, what the problems are. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I'll, I'll probably eventually catch up with it, but um, I, I think in a way it takes some pressure off of me to feel like I, I don't need to catch up with this one right now, simply because there's so many other things that I do want to catch up with, um, including some of the video on demand stuff that there are smaller releases. Um, but now, but now there's just so much, so much. So uh, another title that kind of fits a little bit in that range for me, maybe a little bit closer to the harder they fall. It's coming out this week is the film Finch, which is a, uh, Apple TV plus release, um, that takes place in a post apocalyptic world and stars Tom Hanks as the lead with his dog. And, uh, he ends up creating a robot, um, that, uh, I think the role is to kind of protect his life and the dog's life. Um, and it looks actually pretty decent. Uh, I, I am, very intrigued by this and the fact that it's Tom Hanks, I think makes it a little more intriguing. Um, and so I, I probably will catch up with this at some point this year. Um, it just may not be this upcoming weekend because I definitely want to see some other things, uh, before I watch this one. What do you think about Finch, Danny? Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Also, it's cool to see Tom Hanks in a movie where he's not playing uh, a famous person. seems like the last few roles he's, been in he's just been a famous person i know that wasn't the the uh case in that western movie he was in recently but um also caleb landry jones is in this who plays i'm assuming the robot i would believe that's what he's his voice is the robot yep and so i'm excited from that aspect because i always think it's cool when actors voice act uh for like robots I, i thought that was cool for like an example is uh, when Scarlett Johansson did the voice in her and how much that feels like a major performance, even though it, you never see her, which is, I think, impressive. So I'm excited. I like Caleb Landry Jones, too. Yeah, there hasn't been anything that's come out in terms of reviews for this yet. I could see this being kind of one of those movies that seems to fall through the cracks, but is um, universally pretty well received. Uh, yeah. It kind of seems like that sort of movie. One thing I want to say before we move on from this is this is this is just an example of how spoiled we are in this world of content that Tom Hanks is in a movie this year. And he's not the biggest star around right now, but he's still a big star. And it's not going to be talked about a ton. Yep. This is a movie that if it came out in 2005... It would be like, like I am legend level of like 
Yep. People would be excited about it. It would get a big theater release. It would be interesting. It would have something that's science fictiony, and it, it is kind of sad that this is the type of movie that isn't um, as talked about anymore. So. Yeah, uh, and I think that that obviously plays into the conversation we've been having all year about how streaming services are uh, picking up some of these big time movies and the way that they are releasing them. And Apple TV plus doesn't seem very interested in giving theater releases. And maybe that will change down the line um, as they kind of see how uh, things go. But right now they're just trying to build up um, their subscriber base. And one of the ways they do that is by putting a bunch of uh, Tom Hanks movies out on their platform. They need to build it up because they're pretty sparse right now. Yeah, but once again, Apple TV Plus has done a pretty good job of selecting high-quality content. They're more interested in releasing high-quality content than just a ton of content. Right. So we're going to see kind of how, if if that is a good model moving forward or not. Um, And I I presume they're going to want to continue to supplement and just add more and more stuff. But uh, yeah. And this gets into another conversation, but it's writing. I think it has a successful show in Ted Lasso right now. And it can kind of ride the coattails of that for a couple of years to get some more people interested, more creative producers interested. And like, I I kind of could foresee it being on par with an HBO type thing. Because I always think HBO is being high quality. Yeah. And this feels very high quality as well. Yeah, I think that 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 is not a bad uh, bad way to, or uh, streaming service or I guess uh, production company to uh, to compare it to. All right, the last movie that we're going to talk about here is one that we are actually I think want to plan on reviewing for our next show, which is Spencer. Um, so Spencer gets a release this week, and uh, I this is this is up there probably as at least my top five uh, most anticipated films left to come out this year, potentially even my top three. Um, I'm very, very, very much looking forward to seeing this. And I haven't even seen Jackie yet. uh, And so I might have to catch up with that sometime either before or after so we can talk a little bit about Jackie and the juxtaposition of this. I'm excited to rewatch Jackie in anticipation of this. This I mean, I'm excited for Spencer too. Um, I think what I, I, I'm going in with an expectation that I've heard things of it being avant-garde. Mm. Uh, it might be somewhat strange. Um, I think visually it already has my interest peak because it just seems so stunning. Every shot that you see in the trailers and there's a filter that makes everything feel very atmospheric and kind of fuzzy and foggy. It's very soft looking, um, which I like. But I think that ultimately the thing that's going to really make this movie for me is going to come down to the score. I'm really curious to see what Johnny Greenwood does with the score in this. And um, I've already, you know, been a fan of what he's done in the past. Sometimes it can be very discordant and, but that, that he's always, I think in line with what the movie is trying to do. And so um, that's what I'm really going to be paying attention to. And so when we do our review, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. I I think we will as well. 
Um, so I think that wraps up our conversation on what is coming out this week. Before we move into our review on the French Dispatch, I do want to just quickly talk about the fact that uh, they did green light the second part of uh, Dune this past week. And um, I, I don't think that anybody thought that they weren't going to, but the, the film has now made over 300 million worldwide. Um, and, and so I, I think it's doing quite well considering everything that, that is involved. Um, and you know, <laughs> as much as you may have been disappointed in part one, I am guessing that when it's all said and done, you'll be at least pretty intrigued and, uh, maybe we'll be able to go into part two with a little bit lower expectations and may enjoy it quite a bit more because of that. And if you heard that uh, Denis Villeneuve said he's interested in covering a th the second book yeah. of Dune and making it three movies in total. So um, that's, interesting. that's interesting. So again, hopefully he, he completes this story before he moves on to part three. Yep. I, I agree. Um, all right. Let's wrap that up here. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into our review of the French Dispatch. So stay right there. All right, and we are back, and we are finally here. We are finally reviewing the French Dispatch. I think uh, when we started doing our uh, marathon review, I think we probably went into it with certain expectations of West, or kind of expectations of what we already thought of Wes Anderson as a director. But I already feel like before we saw the French Dispatch that things may have changed a little bit for me and how I viewed him. And uh, it made me really excited to see this movie. And it felt like I was like maybe more prepared to see this movie than I've ever been prepared to see any major director's movie. It felt like I did my homework and I was ready. So I was really excited to see it this past weekend. Um, the French Dispatch is a movie that is uh, being called a love letter to journalists set in in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. Um, this is a movie that currently has a 74 Metascore and a 7.5 on IMDb. It's got a giant cast, which we will talk about, I'm sure, during this review. Um, and it seems obvious to say it has a giant cast because Wes Anderson's movies typically do, but this seems like a particularly giant cast. Um, so what did you think of Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch? So you said some really uh, great things opening this segment up about how um, this was a, a special experience for me because, you know, we haven't watched these other movies in the theater over the course of this year. And so to get to watch this, this new Wes Anderson movie in the theater, um, having 
spent so much of the year thinking about him as a filmmaker. And honestly, I would say that we, we have put together a pretty good study of Wes Anderson over the course of this year. And so, uh, like you said, this was fun because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and even despite the fact that it probably lost some steam, uh, in terms of excitement overall for everyone. Um, I, I went in expecting a Wes Anderson film and, uh, knowing who Wes Anderson is as a filmmaker. And I was treated exactly to what I, I had expected. Um, and I think that there were even some elements that, that really surprised me in a good way. Um, I ended up giving this, this film an eight out of 10. And, uh, there's just so much that we can unpack here in terms of how Wes Anderson seems to kind of raise the bar with every film and does things that seem almost impossible. The amount of detail that he puts into his films is pretty incredible and I can't even fathom being able to do some of the things that he is able to do and it makes me question what is he going to do next because he he finds a way to just kind of take it to that next level um every single time that he he puts out a a new film and does something that even though is very Wes Anderson and it it plays on some of the same things that we see in every film it is still uniquely original um in comparison to a lot of his other films and that in itself is quite impressive when you have such a stylized way of uh producing movies yeah um, before I get into kind of talking about what I thought of it, I want to ask you, do you feel like this is Wes Anderson's most complex movie? Without a doubt. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't think that, yeah, I, I, I don't even know that it's even that close, um, because it has so many layers, uh, and, um, it probably is also the most art house film that he has made as well. Uh, which I think adds to that, that complexity. Yeah. And I think I really, I, I mean, a movie that can be complex can sometimes be so dense that it's unattainable in some ways or un, you can't really buy in, but I really bought into this movie and I actually gave it a nine out of 10. I, I almost gave it an eight out of 10. And there are elements of the story that, I I'm maybe I'm not a huge fan of, but ultimately this is a movie that is made exactly the way I think he wanted to make it. I don't, I think he did everything with deliberate. Uh, he was deliberate about everything. He was purposeful about everything. And I can't fault him for making those choices. I think they're really bold choices. And to get this out of the way, I think it's important to talk about how this movie is structured this is basically as if Wes Anderson wrote a magazine about a bunch of fictional uh, re- fictional events as if they were real events and then decided, I'm going to shoot that magazine. Uh, that's going to be my script for the movie. And then there's maybe a little bit of a thread of story behind the people that wrote those um, articles. And 
so in terms of a structure for story, it's unlike any story that he's done before. And honestly, it's unlike any story that's ever existed anywhere. And so um, that's what I think was really refreshing to me is feeling like it was um, something that was totally unique, totally new. He's again, gone somewhere, just like you said, that he hasn't been. And again, no one else has been there. And the, the other thing too, that I think added to my experiences, like you mentioned, seeing it in the theater after watching all of these at home, that was kind of a refreshing experience. I don't know if you uh, had a lot of people at your theater, I'd be curious to know if you heard some of the reactions, but I saw it at uh, film streams and uh, they had, it was, it was a pretty full uh, house and like, it was just refreshing to hear the laughter that could come from this movie that is so complex and there's visual jokes, there's uh, written jokes in there. And it's just like a joy to watch at times. Um, and I, I, I felt more so than anything, like the technical aspects of the set production and the way he decides to stage certain things made this really fun and engaging when it could have been really boring, uh, given what the, the text is for this story. Um, so I really did like it. I almost feel um, maybe I, I missed something and I, after hearing some of the criticism, but I, I've, maybe it's because I, I have somewhat of a background in journalism that I was able to kind of gravitate to this story as um, seeing kind of what this, this story offers in terms of journalists. Um, because this is such a complex story, I kind of want to talk about the story as a whole what these characters maybe are getting at. What is the message of the movie? Um, did you feel like that message landed? Um, tell me about kind of where your, your head's at with how this movie plays out in terms of story. Well, yeah. And I think that the story is probably one of the most intriguing parts about this film uh, and probably isn't for some people. Uh, in fact, that that is the thing that I think probably is turning people away from this and why it didn't maybe land as much as people maybe thought it would. And it's because it doesn't have a true narrative. Um, it, it It is literally just a... Uh, uh, several features that uh, are kind of representing a very magazine type format. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Wes Anderson found a way to turn what would be a print magazine into a, a film and uh, allowing kind of these short stories that don't necessarily have a narrative in themselves, but uh, are analyzing some interesting people um, and being able to kind of pull in uh, loose themes. Like the, the idea that I, I, I honestly, I feel like this is kind of an ode to uh, uh, what, what's the, like highbrow magazines, mm -hmm. like kind of like, and I think that I even read somewhere that he was trying to almost uh, build this as if it was the New Yorker, uh, yeah. which which I think is very interesting. Uh, and so, in the end, as soon as you embrace the fact that this isn't going to be a typical narrative story, and you uh, 
are kind of just there for the ride and seeing what he does with this. Cause it took me a little bit to adjust. Um, mm-hmm. I did not know that this was the way that it was actually going to play out when I went to this film. Cause I didn't mm-hmm. look into it very much. And so it did take a little bit of adjusting for me to kind of figure out what he was doing here and uh, kind of the way that it was going to be presented. And um, as soon as I recognized what he was doing, then I was able to fully allow myself to enjoy uh, this um, quite magnificent screenplay, to be completely honest. And Mm -hmm. uh, this is probably one of my favorite screenplays of this year, uh, even though it is a little bit staggered and it's more like vignettes than it is or short films Mm -hmm. uh, kind of all mashed together than being a full uh, feature narrative. Um, I, if anything, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Ballad of Buster, Buster Scruggs, which I also really, really liked. Um, and kind of appreciated that, but it's done in a slightly different way where it's not so like obvious they're jumping from one thing to another. And the stories don't really have the same overlap that they did for um, Buster Scruggs. Uh, And and so, yeah, I don't know. It, It was just a very, very, very refreshing experience um and i i look forward to going back and watching it again eventually here uh and trying to maybe pick up some of the things that i missed because there was so much going on um that that it was almost difficult to uh be able to pick up on absolutely everything Mm -hmm. i i love that you brought up the ballad of buster scruggs thing because i also felt that a little bit and it was just you know Sometimes I'm, I'm often turned off by stories that don't have a clear narrative. And even in previous movies of Wes Anderson, Moonrise Kingdom was one that I felt like didn't have that main character to focus on and I wasn't as big of a fan of. And this definitely doesn't have that, but it works because each story gets its focus, which I really liked. Um, it also brings in a theme that we've seen with Wes Anderson of how he likes to set his stories being told through another medium. So whether that's a play, whether that's a book, whether that's somebody retelling the story, this is a magazine. That's the medium through which this we're seeing the movie. And so he is, he's clever in the way he ties in elements that fit within that medium. And so there's a comic strip aspect of this movie that is tied in. It works because that is the medium through which he's telling the story. Um, Ultimately, I actually was pretty touched by maybe not something that's a, a direct theme of the movie, but a clear like idea of what it's getting at by the end. And that is the relationship between the writer and the story that they are telling yes. and how intimate and close that relationship is. And then the role that editors have in allowing writers to tell the story that they need to tell. And I thought that was something that actually did make me a little bit emotional at the end of the movie, especially in the, and this is not to spoil anything, but in, in the way that these writers feel towards their editor. Um, I think that that is a element of the movie that actually works really well and makes this, um, makes this more complex in a lot of ways, because again, it's 
Wes Anderson doing saying a lot with just action mm-hmm. and pe- what people do and not hitting us over the head with it. There's very little in the story that actually addresses that. It's just how people interact that you watch that makes you feel that way. Well, and I also think that this is a interesting um, approach simply because we are in a time where journalism is very much under attack. And so I think that this is a celebration of journalism and uh, the complexities of writing a a feature about real human beings that Mm -hmm. sometimes are maybe um, a little out of the ordinary um, Mm -hmm. we're kind of seeing because none of these stories are extremely straightforward stories Mm -hmm. they're all a little wacky and they fit into that that Wes Anderson world Um, but uh, they all were in my opinion I thought each story was uh, interesting and that the characters uh, all were very, very good uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, being kind of front and center. And uh, honestly, I think maybe this is a good place to maybe segue into uh, talking about the acting portion of this. Yeah. That this is probably one of Wes Anderson's best platforms for acting performances because. He just gives them a little section of the movie and they get to be the center of that, that part of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's not, they don't get lost in this big ensemble as much because when they're focused on one story, it's only those characters really in that story. And so right. I, in, and he cast absolutely amazing actors in each of these, these uh, it's three stories. There's a four. I can't it's, remember. Three. It's three. four, but the Owen Wilson one yeah, is yeah. more of just the scenes of France. Right, right. right. So the, the three main like kind of features. Um, I think uh, all, all of the main performances in those are some of the best performances that we have seen from uh, Wes Anderson actors as of up to this point. And uh, that a lot of that is because uh, the script lends itself for them to be kind of the center of attention. Yeah. So I, I'm going to start right away with talking about the standout performance for me. And that is Jeffrey Wright in this movie. Uh, I think he's the third of the three stories that three features that we see. I think his story is poignant in a way that um, others aren't but at the same time it also has the comic strip section that feels so like wacky you know yeah um it that's right it does have that section right it does yeah yeah and uh but there's something about jeffrey wright's vocal performance his narration but then also the there's so many layers to the movie he's being interviewed in a sequence about this experience he had and that interview there's there's something special that they do where they break away from the story and they ask him more of a personal question. And he decides to do something with the cam or with the camera and with the set. And they kind of remove all of the people in that scene. And it just is focused on Jeffrey Wright. And I thought that's that sequence really stood out and his performance is not, it's not, you know, it's not like he's doing the most, most dramatic scenes that we see from like a marriage story, <laughs> you know, like this isn't like people yelling. It's just this really 
well done. Um, and so I, I thought Jeffrey Wright was fantastic in this one. And um, I also, even though it's a kind of a bizarre performance, Benicio del Toro really stood out to me as well. Um, those are kind of my two main ones. What, what ones did stand stood out to you? Uh, I also really liked the Jeffrey Wright performance. I think his is the standout in this. Um, and in a way it's subtle, uh, but he, he just nails it. Um, everything from facial expressions to body language. Um, yeah, I, I, that to me is also the standout performance. Uh, I also liked Benicio, Benicio del Toro's performance. I also liked Adrian Brody's performance. Um, I think the fact that Timothy Chalamet uh, has a main performance, he's very good in this as well. Um, and then, of course, you have Francis McDormand uh, acting opposite of him, which I think is an interesting kind of dynamic um, mm -hmm. and makes for for a more interesting story, ultimately. Um, I, th this is just a really, really good ensemble uh film and um everybody is very strong in the roles that they play and uh yeah i i enjoyed this from an acting standpoint probably more than um than i really anticipated i would uh and now that we're talking about it i feel like i might actually bump it up to a nine um because the acting at first, it didn't, I think I needed to kind of let some of these performances settle a little bit. And that was actually in typical uh, Wes Anderson fashion. I maybe discounted the performances a little bit uh, upon exiting the theater. Um, and now that we're kind of talking about it and I'm reflecting back and really thinking about some of these, um, I'm, I'm more impressed than I, I initially was. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to bump it up to a nine because, because of the performances. I'm glad you are. And I also think this is the type of movie that because there's so much there, if you, I bet rewatching it, you get a lot more too out of it. Cause you, you're not as focused on like the structure of the story. You're just kind of taking each section in and so i this honestly is maybe one of the first movies this year that i've seen where i'm like i want to rewatch this like soon sooner rather than later and yeah. there's some others that i would rewatch, but that desire to rewatch, this is probably the first one for me uh -huh. um still speaking about performances there's this cast is so huge that there's a ton of just bit parts for huge stars in this movie. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you mine first, but I want you to be thinking, what is what is your favorite uh, bit part uh, that a, a uh, actor plays in this movie? And so I'll tell you mine first. For whatever reason, I thought it was hilarious when Henry Winkler showed up as one of uh, Adrian Brody's uncles in this. He like, I think maybe doesn't, he maybe has a line in the movie. But for some reason, I was like, that's hilarious that they got him to be that small role. And they kind of have these like funny mustaches and they have this whole exchange about whether the art is actually good or whether, you know, like that whole sequence was really funny to me. Um, I liked that uh, performance. And then um, it, I just I just think it's funny to see Jason Schwartzman in anything. He's literally just a like a 
I think a copy editor or copywriter or something like that. And he doesn't do anything funny. I just think it's funny, but what, who stood out to you? He, he actually co-wrote this. Uh, oh, he did. He and um, Roman Coppola and Wes Anderson, they all co-wrote this together. Uh, so I imagine that, you know, and <laughs> Jason Schwartzman just wants to be a part of every Wes Anderson project. So yes, he got his, he got his little bit in there. Um, I love the fact that Saoirse Ronan is in this, uh, and it's not like that she has a super, it's just a goofy character to be completely yeah. honest. Like if I'm, if I am trying to cast this movie, I would never think to cast Saoirse Ronan as the character they cast her as, because it is such a bit, bit part. And it is kind of anti Saoirse Ronan in every other character she has ever played. And so I think that Saoirse Ronan is my favorite bit part in this. Um, you could almost, I, I think that uh, Willem Dafoe is also always fun. He plays yeah. kind of a, uh, it's not his typical role in a Wes Anderson movie. Um, it's different. And I guess he just likes to be kind of play these different characters, but uh, his bit, his part's pretty, pretty small as well. Yeah. Um, I think that we probably should spend some time to talk about production. So set oh, production, cinematography. Um, I'm going to start just to talk about cinematography and eventually we'll, we'll obviously talk about the production of it, but it's uh I'm noticing that there are some things that he's doing here that I have not seen Wes Anderson do before. There's a couple of sequences that I thought were interesting. He's done, he did, uh, first of all, uh, a lot of these tableau shots where, and that has to do with the staging that he does, but then also the depth of how he shoots those sequences where it's people that aren't, he didn't take a photo. He has people just standing still and he pans and shows them. And I, I thought that was like, seems like it's something he should, he probably should have done before. Cause it seems like such a Wes Anderson thing, but I don't think he has. And the way he uses it is so great, especially in that um, first um, feature with the Benicio del Toro character. It feels artistic and in theme with the rest of that. Um, story and so I think that that was really good and then he does some like interesting kind of pan shots that uh, are noticed specifically in a dinner sequence with the Jeffrey Wright character and um, I don't know it just felt like it had a new dynamic that we hadn't seen him do before and so again that just adds to this level of he's he is pushing himself as a director in each one of these movies and that's really cool to see um, what did you think of the cinematography? Yeah, cinematography is uh, very, very interesting in this film. And unfortunately, um, it probably isn't going to get the love that it deserves because it doesn't have like a bunch of beautiful shots. But every shot is really interesting and it's very purposeful in how he is choosing to uh, portray certain events. And I think part of... Uh, that is kind of by design of this being this this magazine format and how 
the way that we view photographs in a magazine. Um, he's trying to translate that to the screen. And so you get a lot of like up in their face photo or uh, mm -hmm. shots, as well as some of these more uh, further back panning shots. And um, yeah, I just, I appreciated the fact that it was a very, it was varied in the way that, um, the, that it is presented. And like I said, I think that it's maybe a little understated, um, but it doesn't make it any less uh, exceptional. <laughs> and I, I think that in kind of coordination with that, um, it really relies on fantastic editing. This film's editing is incredible and yep. kind of moving back and forth between color and black and white shots um, to kind of represent like, the, the way that magazines sometimes they, they mix up their photographs between color and black and white, um, which I thought was a very interesting choice mm -hmm. to be able to do that with the actual film. Um, yep. It, but yeah, the way that this film is edited and going back and forth between the story and then who's narrating it and the journalists and, you know, it, it's, uh, it, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that from a technical standpoint, not even talking about the production design yet, because that's a whole other thing, uh, that, that this is, if you are a up and coming filmmaker, this is a movie to watch uh, in order to kind of pick up on some of those just absolutely amazing things. And I'm going to be even more in tune with this when I rewatch this film, um, just how absolutely amazing it is from, from an editing and cinematography standpoint. Well, and it's interesting, the editor of this movie, he did Black Swan, Mother, Isle of Dogs, Moonrise Kingdom, Eyes of Tammy Faye, um, those are some of his top movies. I, and it's, it's tough because this is a movie that those edits probably had had to be planned. Oh yeah. Because of how, and so how much can we say, is this Wes Anderson or is this Andrew Weisblum who or edited it? And so, you know, this is honestly a movie that I think Maybe it won't get the recognition and probably won't get the recognition for editor, but it might deserve it based on some of the stuff that I've seen so far. And we haven't seen a lot of the other movies yet to come, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the editing is on another level. One thing I do want to talk about because I'm, I'm interested in uh, your experience versus my experience. Um, the aspect ratio changes throughout this film. And that's another part of this. Um, I imagine it's not by design and that my theater cut off some of the subtitles uh, at points like when they if they're toward the bottom of the screen, even though it didn't fill the entire screen, it was getting cut off in my theater. And so they didn't have the the uh, the real right. And I wonder if uh, the the uh, projectionist just got confused by the fact this this film is shot with different uh, aspect ratios that adjust throughout the film. And so it was hard for them to get it quite right. Um, so like some of the some of the French uh, the 
French translation titled parts, the, the translated stuff, I couldn't see because it got cut off. Um, and that it, it irritated me a little bit, but uh, overall, <laughs> I enjoyed the film enough that I didn't let it bother me too much. You could still figure it out too, because in those scenes, Timothy Chalamet is speaking in English the whole time, yeah. <laughs> so you could kind of figure the, the other thing about the um subtitles is you noticed how they they put them yeah. in different places in the screen and so he That's plays with the subtitle as well. being and he was kind of doing that in isle of dogs as well um and where he put subtitles on the well, that, that was different because of it being animation this was it almost felt like it was like a poetic sort of well i think there's that but i also think that you think about in um a print version of a magazine uh sure. the way that words are overlaid on pictures uh they they get creative with that it's not yeah. always just standard and so right. i think that he's playing once again on that he tried to find every nook and cranny that he could to make this uh a true visual representation in film of what a magazine might look like if it was translated to the film yeah and so that's a great segue to just Let's just chat about the set production real quick. I, I think we came off of Grand Budapest Hotel saying that he had like reached a new level, that it was a perfect set production. And I think that this is also perfect. And there's a moment in this movie that like I just felt, I just felt how perfect it was. And that is towards the beginning, it's during Owen Wilson's coverage of uh, just France as a city and he says he says um, the morning and mornings and ennui the uh, city starts suddenly or something like that and people come out the water starts running and you just get to like sit with that and in yep. the coordination I think of people on the set and the, the very kind of almost um it feels fake, but it also feels real and lived yeah. in at the same time. And I just, I, I love that quality of this movie and it, it almost feels like a, a theater, you know, that it's right there in front of you and you feel it happening. It feels so alive. 100%. And so I love that element. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a perfect movie when it comes to production design and um, I don't care what else comes out this year this this is the best production design of the year um and there's yeah. gonna be some pretty incredible production designs i think that are still yet to come but you cannot make an argument that that anybody else put more into their production design than wes anderson did with this and that there is not another film that will come out this year where the production design has as uh major of a role in the way that we receive the film as this movie is. So um, I think there's a good chance it doesn't win production design, uh, but it, I think it almost certainly will get nominated um, and it, it should win because it is absolutely perfect. And he just does some very interesting things. And like you said, it's, it's like you're in a theater watching this all take place um and it's beautiful uh i i loved every moment of watching the production design on this, in this yeah. and i think that you also get a sense of how much i mean 
I felt like Grand Budapest Hotel went to a lot of different places and had a lot of unique sets. Yeah. Even more. Yeah. And it just seems like such like the scale keeps getting bigger and bigger. Which and is why I say, what possibly can he do next? Yeah. Like he's, and, he, can't, he can't constantly just one up himself, but. Well, and, and that actually begs an interesting question of, you know, where he's going with this new movie that's coming out with Adrian Brody that he's working on right now. Um, who else is in this movie? I, I can't Tom, remember. Tom Hanks is in it. Okay. And I almost would like to see him go the other way. I want yeah. this to be like. Minimal. Minimal. I would love to see him maybe go back to. Uh, Royal Tenenbaums style that feels that he doesn't, he uses real on location type shooting. That would be a cool new challenge to see him go back to that. But, you know, I'll be, I'll take what I can get after <laughs> this. I, I think that he, and again, I, I know that we are coming from a different angle with this movie, having seen, watched all of his other movies ahead of time, but it made me appreciate it on a whole new level and i'm i'm glad we did did it this way i am too and i think that uh the fact that we we have done this um and that we feel good about it is going to make us that much more excited about doing this with other filmmakers within mm -hmm. next year and beyond um just because it's a fun experience and i've really enjoyed it um, I want to talk about one more thing before we move into our ranking segment, um, and that is the music and sound in this film, uh, because I think that that has always kind of played a pretty big role in, um, in Wes Anderson films, and uh, I think that it's probably the case here. Uh, I, don't, I think the music is a little understated at times. Um, this isn't his best score that he has in his films. And uh, I don't think that by any means it deserves to be nominated for, for an Academy Award, especially given all the incredible scores that we're probably going to have this year. Um, but uh, it, it, do, it plays its role. And what I found to be interesting is each individual story kind of had a little bit different score um, in that I think makes makes it maybe a little bit more impressive. Um, in addition, and I'm going to hand it over to you. Just from the sound aspect of it, I feel like um, this has had probably a lot more sound editing and sound design um, than maybe any of his previous films because of um, there's there's some gun scenes that that they had to bring that sound into into the film and uh yeah i just i think from a sound perspective this is probably one of his bigger uh bigger productions in terms of that it it makes me think of too that i, I remember when we watched uh life aquatic with steve zisu afterward i wa watched the uh director's commentary he does with noah bomback because he wrote that movie with him and he talked about there's a sequence in that movie where they do an action scene and he hasn't really done like major action scenes with that. It's the, where the pirates yeah. uh, come on board. And he said, I, he's like, I hadn't really directed an action scene. And that almost feels like he's trying in that movie. It feels like he's trying to direct an action sequence based on how other people have directed action sequences. And in this movie, he's just directing it the way that he's decided he's going to direct. And so like, yeah you know, like you mentioned, 
the there are some gun scenes in this where they they have that sound that plays a role there and then there's also a sequence where uh Benicio del Toro's character is chasing Adrian Brody's character and we follow him on a uh in his wheelchair and it just stands behind him and that's almost something that they took I think from like Fantastic Mr. Fox and just following yeah seems like yeah. a similar shot that we see um and so yeah like and I know I kind of took it away from sound design there but I it just made me think like uh he is just doing it his own way. And um, that that's really, I think, something special about him as a movie, as a filmmaker. He's, he's not going to play sure. by someone else's expectations of how to do something. But to just touch on your point, I agree on the, the music aspect. Alexandre Desplat is a, a composer that I like in almost anything they do. And this isn't a bad score, I think that it, but I almost feel like there's so much else going on it's almost better that the music isn't taking away from that, that we just, you know, are sitting with this, this, the characters and everything else. And it's also one that too, maybe upon rewatching it, I might be able to dial into it a little bit more and appreciate certain aspects of it. Um, yeah, I next think, time yeah, I think that certainly could be the case. Um, well, let's, let's wrap up our conversation here and we're going to move into the rankings segment of, of the show. I am excited about talking about just on a very brief basis, kind of why we are ranking some of these films where we are. Um, and yes, yeah, so we're going to do that on the other side of this break. Stay right there. And we are back and we are going to be ranking um, from 10 to one, our favorite Wes Anderson films. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with Danny, but one thing that I want to say kind of ahead of time is now that we have sat with these films, I have made a few adjustments and move some things around. And in fact, I even moved some things around while we were talking um, simply because of uh, now that I'm kind of letting the French dispatch uh, digest um, it, that, that kind of has changed some things. And that, that certainly was the case for a few of these films. Um, and so even though I'm at one point in time may have had one of these films ahead of another one in our conversations, some of that has changed since that point in time. So Danny, what is your number 10 Wes Anderson film? You know, I like all of his movies, but you got to start with something for the bottom slot. And that is Bottle Rocket. I feel comfortable putting that as my least favorite just because it, he's still figuring himself out as a storyteller. And I think that's the main thing is the story is not quite to the to level of what he's doing with other ones. He still has kind of what we want in a Wes Anderson character. I feel like he got character right from the get go. Yeah. And that is something that the seed is there and that continues to grow from that point on uh, the character of, I think, is it uh, Dagan? Is that the name? Yeah. The, yep. the one that Owen Wilson plays um, is 
such a quintessential Wes Anderson character. They have, they they have clear flaws, but there's something endearing about them in their pursuit of a goal. And uh, yeah, I, I I still would recommend it to anybody who is interested in seeing Wes Anderson's movies, just because it's, you know, provides that element. But got to start somewhere. Yep, I also have Bottle Rocket at number ten. Um, this is actually probably the most normal of all of his movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking for something to kind of ease people into Wes Anderson's kind of bizarre ways, this might be a good place to start. I also think it's probably, in my opinion, the most boring of his movies because it does the writing isn't quite where it needs to be. Um, yeah, it has like the really quirky uh, characters that we know and love about Wes. An- of Wes Anderson, but, um, it, it kind of stalls at some point and, uh, in a way it feels like it almost repeats itself as the, the film comes to an end. Um, it is based on a short film as we talked about during this review. And that could be part of the problem is that they just didn't know how to extend it from that (laughs) short film. Um, but I am glad that it was made because if it was never made, we wouldn't have ever probably received some of these other absolutely great films. So that is bottle rocket at number 10. One last thing I'll say about that is, uh, Martin Scorsese was a big fan of Bottle Rocket when it came out. And we have Martin Scorsese partially to thank for Wes Anderson's the, uh, uh, career because I think he really promoted it. Um, is it okay if I move yeah. on to number nine? Okay, number, number nine. I know I'm assuming this is going to be higher on your list, um, but I have Moonrise Kingdom as my number nine. This is something that dropped significantly for me from before we watched this uh these these movies and i would have considered this maybe one of my favorites before and now it's uh number nine i I just we talked about it during the review i was not a fan of the uh way the story played out i thought they could have focused the story a little bit more um but again it still has the charm that you want from a wes anderson movie um, I, I do have it a little bit higher up on my list, but I will say that uh, it, it I, I was really excited after we, we re- rewatched this, um, but I, I feel like it doesn't have the same lasting effect that some of the other films do have, um, where I continue to kind of think about it after it has been removed from me for a few days. Um, and so even since our conversation in me really loving that, that film, um, I think it has dropped a little bit in my rankings since that point in time. So I, I will um, kind of bring that back up when it pops up. Um, my number nine film is the Darjeeling limited. Um, I really like this film. I, I think I, there are aspects of this that I really liked and, um, but I think overall it is probably one of his messier films. Um, and I know we had talked about the fact that it felt like it should have been a little bit more almost dramatic, uh, just based upon the, the topics that they are, they are going over. And I, I think it had a little bit of an identity crisis. I didn't know exactly what it was. And that is to its fault. Um, once again, though, we kind of talk about how we, we just pretty much like this entire Wes Anderson catalog. 
Um, and so there had to be a movie that, that kind of slotted in that number nine spot. And so for me, that is the Darjeeling limited. I'll talk about that more in just a little bit. Um, my number eight is the life aquatic with Steve Zissou. I, I feel like that's controversial because a lot of people would say this is maybe their favorite, uh, Wes Anderson movie. Um, I, I think that there's just something that maybe, and maybe it's because of when I entered the Wes Anderson uh, catalog and when I started watching his movies, but this feels like from a different, it feels like a transitional phase where he's moving from maybe some more, some of that more uh, real grounded types movies that we see with Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, Bottle Rocket into these more, uh, somewhat whimsical or quirky films and I for some reason that didn't it didn't work for me a hundred percent I still love a lot of aspects I love certain characters in that movie uh, the Owen Wilson character for me is just really for some reason that character particularly stands out um, but that is my number eight pick that um, is a little bit higher up my list so I'm going to move to my number eight uh, selection and that is Rushmore um, I really enjoyed Rushmore. This was the first time that I had seen it when we were doing this uh, marathon. Um, but because it is still an early Wes Anderson movie, there are some aspects that are not quite at the same level. Um, at, specifically from like the production design part of this. And I think that that's kind of what hurts it. Um, I think that uh, he has kind of hit uh, his stride with characters here. I think his characters in this really improve upon what he started with Bottle Rocket. Um, Jason, Jason Schwartzman's character is fantastic in this and is probably one of the better characters in all of Wes Anderson's catalog, to be completely honest. Um, but from a narrative standpoint, in kind of some of that production design, um, that's why it's a little bit lower on my list. But I really did enjoy Rushmore and I would probably, this is another movie that I feel like I could, I could recommend to most people and it's going to be a little bit more enjoyable than maybe some of the other films within uh, Wes Anderson's catalog. Mm -hmm. um, once again, I'll talk about it in just a little bit. Um, I'm starting to feel like we're, we're breaking Wes Anderson's catalog maybe into two tiers. There's an upper tier and then the lower tier. And maybe that proves to be true after the next few picks. Um, my next pick is Darjeeling limited um, I agree with a lot of what you said. It is a messy movie, I think, but I was, after our conversation, it kind of maybe grew on me a little bit more. I liked the abstractness of that movie. And I also liked kind of how he decided to, um, bring in that Bill Murray character. That character continues to be interesting to me as being representative of their dad, um, and I think maybe it asks you to interpret the movie in a new way. I know it has uh, some messiness in terms of the way it treats, it treats Indian culture, um, but that's just something you kind of have to grapple with as you watch these movies. I don't think that that means that it, we have to discredit the movie. And so that's my number seven pick. I, well, I did really enjoy it. Well, one more thing to kind of say about that uh, is that this is the Darjeeling limited is probably the movie that's closest to the French dispatch in terms mm -hmm. of kind of some of the more abstract things that it does. 
Yep. Um, and and so you can kind of see uh, some of those connections that maybe he made to that film while making the French Dispatch. Well, and it's also a movie that was also written by the three Jason Schwartzman, Roman Coppola, and um, Wes Anderson. I mean, it, I don't know if any of the other movies had those three all working on it, did they? Um, I can't. Maybe, maybe Isle of Dogs potentially. Yeah, that, that actually might have, but I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to look into it. But uh, speaking of Isle of Dogs, I have Isle of Dogs at my number seven slot. Um, I really liked Isle of Dogs. Uh, I think that this is a notch above uh, those those other three, in my opinion, um, and and so I. I see kind of a separation between Isle of Dogs and uh, the bottom three there. Um, but I think the fact that it is a animated film, um, that maybe that hurts it a little bit uh, compared to some of the other, the other films that are on this list. Um, but once again, they were able to do some pretty cool things with it. Um, but I think anytime there's an animated film, um, with the exception of the other animated film that's on this list, uh, I usually feel like it loses a little bit of depth uh, in terms of character and um, your ability to connect to it. And I think that maybe that is kind of what I saw here with Isle of Dogs and why um, it sits where it does on my list. Um, I'll talk again about Isle of Dogs here in just a little bit. Um, Rushmore is my number six. Um, I, uh, would, I would say that Rushmore is one that, um, for me, maybe lost its charm on these rewatches. I think, again, I would agree that the characterization in that is really strong. And, uh, I, I also really like the Bill Murray, uh, character dynamic in this movie. Um, I, I think I, this brings up the issue of he's great with characters, but that's a specific character that almost grates on me a little bit. And um, he got to a point where I think he could write a troubled character or a character that had flaws that um, still redeemed themselves in some way. And he hadn't quite figured it out at this point, but it's maybe the funniest uh, Wes Anderson movie, I would say. I, I think it has some of the funniest moments, and um, it's not as dry. Yeah, and also he is using a trope he loves, which is young people acting like adults, and that is just always funny in in movies. I think, and yep. he, for whatever reason, loves doing that. So I I, I enjoy Rushmore. It dropped down for me a little bit on these rewatch. So that was your number six, right? Yep. My number six is Moonrise Kingdom. Um, as I, I had said during our review of this film, I think that um, even though it probably has the worst uh, kind of lead characters where you don't buy into the characters as much because it is more of an ensemble, um, I feel like he kind of hit a new level with Moonrise Kingdom uh, where he, you know, like you think about, about it as like a video game. There was like this moment of leveling up where he, he like took the production to a different level. Um, 
like the quirkiness kind of took took it to another level with this film um and when you think of wes anderson i feel like moonrise kingdom uh kind of started to define the public's uh viewpoint of who wes anderson is as a filmmaker and so uh more than anything i kind of give credit to to the film for that from a technical standpoint this is a nearly perfect film um and yeah i think the main downfall is the the performances uh and but I really, really love Bruce Willis in this film. I think Bruce Willis in this film is probably one of my favorite performances in uh, all of Wes Anderson's films. Be awesome to see him in another Wes Anderson movie. I think he, he's a, he could do like a, a leading role type, a major leading role type performance. That's awesome. Um, my number five is Isle of Dogs. I agree with a lot of what you said in terms of it being um, you couldn't connect with some of those characters. And I attribute that to being maybe a little overcrowded with characters. But I also think this is, again, new territory for him as a director in that he is being political in a way he hasn't or is trying to send a message in a way he hasn't. Um, and maybe he would disagree with that, but it seems very much that's the case. And then that's something he picks up with the French Dispatch. Um, and so... I, I, I really like that he decided to do that and grow in a new direction. And so that's why I have that as my uh, number five pick. All right. My number five pick is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Um, at one point in time, this was my favorite Wes Anderson film. Um, and I think this is a movie that uh, probably got stuck a little bit in between uh, old Wes Anderson and new Wes Anderson. And he was still trying to kind of figure some things out at this point. Um, but this movie, just for whatever reason, kind of has a special place in my heart. Um, I, I think that he does some really interesting things with the production design in this film. Um, I think that uh, he he does some cool things with music in this film um, and he kind of marries it, the real world with kind of the Wes Anderson world. And uh, I, I, I think honestly, I think he does it pretty dang well. Um, and so that is why The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou has made it to number five on my list. I would agree too that that is probably the best marriage of the real world and the uh, Wes Anderson world. It feels like those are the, and it, and that is definitely a transition point for him uh, for sure. Uh, so we are at number four. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Number four is the French dispatch French dispatch. Um, I was not expecting it to be maybe that high on the list when I saw it. I, I had pretty tempered expectations just because of hearing some things about it. And I think that was probably good going into it. But um, ultimately, it just I, it, it is on another level above Isle of Dogs. The next movies here are on another level and I would consider kind of the best of the best. And there's one that will stand up above the others. But I mean on certain days I might be in favor of one of these over the other and the next four here. I, and we talked about French dispatch already. So yeah, we don't what did you put number four? Um, I agree that this is this tier I think is on a different level. Um, and I actually ended up putting the fantastic Mr. Fox here. Um, and 
this this also was one of those movies that for a long time was my favorite Wes Anderson film. Uh, I've seen it a lot of times, and so maybe some of that uh, appeal has worn off a little bit. Out of all of these movies, that's the one I've seen the most times. Um, and I, it, it's just a really, really solid film. And the reason that I love it so much is because uh, he attempted to do something new and uh, he showed that he is great at making an animated film, um, which, I mean, maybe we should have known just based upon the way that he creates his production design. Um, but uh, he took it to a different level here. Um, and, and yeah, just a fun, fun, fun animated film, probably one of the best animated films of all time. I would agree. I think it is one of the best and I have it at number three. Um, I think the, it is a great uh, soundtrack, the great soundtrack and score for this movie that does a lot for it. Um, I also think that they perfectly did cast this movie and I love George Clooney in this yes. movie. I think that it's, it's maybe one of the best uh um, Wes Anderson performances which seems crazy to say but I I think it's really good and um, to be able to make those characters feel alive considering how stunted a lot of the characters are and then also the fact that it's animated that's pretty that's saying a lot I think um, so I I uh, I would agree it's it's a special uh, animated movie for sure yeah um, so that was my number three yeah the George Clooney uh performance is fantastic and then pair that with jason schwartzman um he's also fantastic in this um yeah overall just a great great film um my number three is the french dispatch um and maybe this is just that it is more fresh and that i just i appreciated the freshness of it so we'll see if it it can stay there um in the long term or maybe it even rises higher i don't know but uh um, I just think this is a really special film. Uh, I think that it does some really unique things. And I think he took a massive risk making this film um, and that he doesn't really care that there might be haters out there that, that don't appreciate it as much. Um, but when I think about film as art, um, that, that is what this, this film is. It is uh, taking the, the craft of film and uh putting a big old stamp on it and saying, this is, this is what art is. Mm -hmm. So French dispatch at number three. All right. Top two here. Uh, my number two is the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, I guess I'd seen this movie before, but it just hit me really hard this last time watching it. And um, I think there it's one of it. it I maybe is it uh, over dramatic to say this, but it is maybe one of the best movies made that talks about relationships of family members. And this is a really dysfunctional family. And so it's, it's definitely on another scale, but I think that even on that kind of crazy scale that it's at, it does hit upon just the, like the fundamental way that humans relate to each other and how, um, you know, we, how we do need each other, even when we burn those bridges and even when those, we do things that are sometimes unforgivable, um, that the family that you have is important. And that seems so corny and cheesy to say, but I think that's a message that he ends up accomplishing 
in a way that doesn't feel corny or cheesy at all. It feels just very straightforward. And that is all because he has really rich characters and he tells a unique story. Um, this film has risen up my list since when we watched it. I, I feel like it, it has really stuck with me. And so, yes, this is also my number two film. Um, and from an emotional standpoint, uh, this, this is probably his best film. Um, and I, I think it also has the best performance uh, from a Wes Anderson film from Gene Hackman. Um, and I am such a sucker for great performances um, paired with uh, the fact that the production design on this is pretty great. Uh, and I know that we talked about how Life Aquatic kind of felt like an in-between film. Well, this this kind of was a precursor, I think, to what we saw beyond Life Aquatic um, with some of the ways that he uh, chose to, with color scheme and stuff like that, um, that that is quite impressive in this film. Uh, but yeah, the, the characters, I think, are the most complex out of any characters that we, we actually see some depth to some of these characters that maybe we don't see in some of the other ones that all kind of see feel a little stunted. Um, I think that uh, I, I have a special place in my heart for movies that are about mental health um, and mental health plays a big part of this, this, uh, the story. And um, yeah, I, out of, out of, all of these films, it probably has, it's maybe, maybe the most mature in content. Um, and in that, I think adds an extra element to, to what a Wes Anderson film that we hadn't seen up. Uh, yeah. Those other films, except for maybe, I think the French dispatch um, and maybe even the grand Budapest hotel, but not on the same level um, have some of those things. This movie's just so honest in a way that those movies aren't. It, I mean, we talk about Wes Anderson characters being emotionally stunted. These characters are emotionally stunted, but they're less so than most of the Wes Anderson characters because they at least confront their problems a little bit more than a lot of Wes Anderson characters. A lot of Wes Anderson characters use some other thing in their life to, to overcome what they're dealing with emotionally. Um, whereas this feels like they're dealing with those pretty straight on. Um, real yeah. Quick, real quick before you uh, announce our number one film that we both agree on. Um, the, I, I, I was wrong. This has the second best performance. The next, the best performance comes in the next film. Yeah. I, I would, I mean, there's a debate that Gene Hackman is the best, but I, I would agree that Ray Fiennes has the best performance in Grand Budapest Hotel. And, um, a lot of that is because he has to do a big range of things in yep. this movie. And um, I don't think it's unfair to say that he does take this movie to another level. If, if we had maybe just like a, an average performance in this, it, it might still be like a nine for me. But I think we talked about this being a pretty much perfect movie because of the performance, because of the set production, because of the music. And... Ultimately, it is a good blend between him telling a character-driven story while also maybe saying something about our world or about how we treat each other or treat people that are different, things like that. And I think that 
it, that was just uh, refreshing, especially because he has often shied away from making those statements, those broad statements before. Yeah, the layers of this film um, are pretty similar, actually, to The French Dispatch. I think he takes it to a different level with The French Dispatch. But when you have kind of the storytelling um, being told kind of through multiple perspectives and how we kind of see how those are being told through multiple perspectives, I think that is very similar to The French Dispatch. Um, but yeah, I think this this is a wholly unique movie as well. And uh, the year that it came out, I feel like we hadn't really ever seen anything quite like this before. And uh, that's what makes this special. And the production design is absolutely fantastic. I feel like maybe the production design on that film is a little more open uh, compared to the French Dispatch, where it feels very like, like we said, it feels almost like a stage production mm -hmm. um, and that we're like there live. Whereas, uh, he kind of opened things up a little bit more with the Grand Budapest Hotel. But yeah, this is a perfect film. I gave it a 10 out of 10. And um, I mean, there is no question that this was the number one Wes Anderson film in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I'm really glad we did this, man. I know we mentioned this earlier, but I we haven't decided what we'll do next. And we'll probably wait till next year to figure out what other one. But like this made me feel that much more excited to do it because it's just so it is. There's something rewarding about really getting to know how a director makes a movie and understanding kind of their quirks. And even though I would say Wes Anderson has kind of a broad spectrum of stories, it, there's a ton of overlap in how he tells those stories. And um, that's what makes him always interesting. I think is he's pushing himself in a new way to tell a new, a new type of story but it, he's using kind of some of the old tricks that he has and he keeps building on them. Yep. I agree with that. And I think that will make us uh, excited to kind of see what he does um, moving forward. Um, as we close out the show here, I have scheduled the remainder of the year as long as everything kind of goes right. But uh, now we kind of have an idea of what films are, going to be the ones we're most excited to see. And so uh, starting next week, we are going to be reviewing Spencer on 10-10. Uh, on 10-17, we will be doing a review of Belfast. Uh, the following week on 10-24 will be King Richard. Uh, on 12-1, we will be doing House of Gucci. On 12-8, we will be doing Power of the Dog. On 12.15, we have West Side Story. 12.22, we have Nightmare Alley. And then 12.29, we are going to finish out 2021 by uh, reviewing what I think is now our most anticipated film. Both of us, I think, have this as our most anticipated film, and that is Licorice Pizza. Um, and then I think that next Wednesday, which will be January 5th, we will do a show where we just celebrate the year of 2021 and the films that we have seen, kind of do uh, some some of our favorites of that year and kind of just do a celebration show. Um, yeah. so 
there's a lot of good stuff that's also going to be we're missing out. We're not going to do a specific review on, but we'll surely talk about it um, when we see some of these other movies that will be coming out over the next couple months here. Um, but <laughs> I am we are spoiled. We are spoiled. We are. We are very spoiled. Um, so that that is it for this show. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I really had a ton of fun doing this show. Um, this is culmination of uh, essentially a year's worth of uh, buildup. And so um, this, I think, is a really special show for us. So thank you for listening and uh, come back next week for our review of Spencer. See ya.